summer wind came blowing in from across the sea and lingered there so warm and fair to walk with me all summer long we sang a song and strolled on golden sand to sweethearts and the summer Listening to 101.9 CITR FM in Vancouver. This is Ink Studs. I'm feeling weird with my mic. It's all around. There we go. That's better. Whoa! Ever had it backwards? My on. You're on. Oh, there we go. Don's on. I'm okay. On. Ink Studs okay. CITR 101.9 FM. The show where we talk about comics. And uh, we are joined this week by Mr. Gary Groth and Mr. Kim Thompson. Do we have you both? We are here. Uh, Glad to be on the show. Excellent. We're joined both Gary and Kim, the uh, founders, publishers, editors, 
and wearers of many hats of Fanagraphics, the uh, the top in comics goodness, I guess is the best way to put it. So, um, originally we're going to have you on and kind of discuss a little bit about uh, what's happening with uh, Fanagraphics right now, but it seems that things are probably settling a little. Uh, I guess uh, listeners or comics aficionados know about the lawsuit that was happening with uh, Harlan Ellison, but we're not going to discuss that so much, I guess. Um, well, I'll talk a little bit about history stuff. So, I guess first off, uh, congratulations on uh, 30 years of uh, comics journal. Is it 31 years now this year? Well, it's going on 31. This, this uh, 07 will be the 31st. Year. Okay. Well, 31 years is still a pretty uh, darn good benchmark. And, and I've only been here for 30 years, so it's my 30th anniversary. And I was actually just reading the uh, biography that you guys are slowly putting out on the website, and um, you're at about August was when you guys first met. Am I correct? That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, if it says, if it says so, it's got to be true. <laughs> now, um, maybe we can, you can tell people about how you guys first met. Kim, you want to do that? Uh, yeah, let me think back. Uh, Gary, of course, had uh, co-founded the met. Comics Journal and Fanagraphics uh, with his partner Mike Catron in 1976. <clears throat> and uh, in 1977, uh, I arrived in the uh, Washington, D.C. area, which is where they were located. Uh, I had spent uh, pretty much all my childhood in Europe or other parts even more unknown, and my parents had just uh, returned to uh, the United States. Uh, at the time, I was uh, 21 years old. So I was just sort of poking around, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, and I happened to run into uh, Gary through mutual acquaintance. And uh, at that point, uh, I thought it would be fun to uh, join and work on the Comics Journal. And that's how it happened. Okay, I guess, okay so, so originally... Oh, and uh, my co-host, Don King. Hi. I'll introduce him. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Um, yeah, so, so, so originally it was, it was just before it became Fantagraphics. But was it Fantagraphics from the beginning, or was it just the Comics Journal? It was Fantagraphics from the beginning. Fantagraphics was the corporate name under which Comics Journal was published. Oh, okay, yeah, I always wondered about that. It was the Fantastic Fanzine, am I correct? Yeah, right. I think that's where it came from. Uh, I remember I, I, I used the name Fantagraphics um, as far back as um, a few things I published when I was in college, and that would have been around 72. It's, it's very much the kind of uh, name that a 13-year-old would come up with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it, Yeah, but it's stuck. <laughs> it's stuck, yeah. Well, it's like Smuckers. With a name like that, it's got to be good. <laughs> now, originally with the journal, um, I guess it started out as the Nostalgia Journal previous, and you kind of... Uh, Gary, you took it over. Yeah, it was being it was being published as the Nostalgia Journal by a group of fans in Texas, and it was essentially what was called an ad zine, which uh, was primarily a magazine or, or a tabloid, you know, devoted to advertising with little editorial content sprinkled in. And um, we took it over in '76 and basically transformed it. Uh, of what we were interested in uh, originally, Mike Catcher and I. Uh, was editorial content, and so we thought, our, our, our theory was that if we built up the editorial content, we would simultaneously build up the advertising revenue. And uh, uh, that worked to a limited but insufficient extent, and um, about seven or eight or nine issues into it, we changed the name to the Comics Journal, and then uh, changed the format from a tabloid to a magazine size so that we could get distributed into comic stores. Now, when like when when the when the journal left, like I, I I was only familiar with it since it became a magazine. 
Um, but uh, you're not ancient. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But but uh, I, well, I I think as far as I can tell, it was the first. Um, I guess, for lack of a better word, fanzine that was uh, that had any sort of um, criticism. Criticism. Yeah. Well, no, there were there were there were predecessors. There was. Uh, I mean, there were a number of, of good um, fan magazines prior to the journal. Uh, not, I mean, not many, but some. Uh, one was Graphic Story Magazine, Oh yeah, uh, which was published by Bill Spicer uh, on the West Coast. Um, there was Graphic Story World. They were all named Graphic Story something. <laughs> um, we, uh, a Graphic Story World was published by a guy named Richard Kyle. Um, and, these, and these were just intelligent fans um, who were probably older than I was. Uh, I, you know, I started publishing a fanzine when I was, I think, 14. And so these guys were um, older than I was and, and more sophisticated, and they actually were putting out, you know, a pretty decent fan magazine about comics. Um, there was another magazine called Inside Comics, which was edited by Joe Brancatelli. So there were definitely predecessors to the journal, um, but probably not any magazines that were quite as tenacious about it. Yeah. The journal. And that was uh, that's something curious about is the uh, interest of, like, uh, so, some of your early intentions, I guess, was it to just um, promote as a kind of critical form, um, kind of give people another way of looking at comics? Yeah, I mean, we wanted to impose journalistic and critical standards on the comics profession and on the art form. And I think that was our, 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 our mandate and our mission. And, uh, we, you know, we also, I think, wanted to be confrontational about it. Um, prior to the journal, most fanzines, I mean, the vast majority of fanzines were, you know, really just gosh, gee, will, gee whiz, um, you know, fanish stuff that just did nothing but um, uh, heap praise on, on favorite cartoonists and, you know, and print sort of silly articles about superheroes. And, it was, you know, it was all very, very fan-oriented. And uh, we wanted to... Um, you know, practice real journalism and publish serious criticism about comics and just move comics um, or, or move the perception of comics uh, from from sort of a minor pop culture item into a more serious form of art. That's something I, I, I'm interested about because um, you're very critical of, of comics, um, and much to the uh, dismay of a lot of readers through history of reading it and uh and kind of i'm curious is that is that part of i don't know comics keeping itself ingrained as a pop culture thing well i don't you know i mean in some ways comics have caught up with the journal's critical agenda uh i mean you see comics are being reviewed in in mass circulation magazines like entertainment weekly and rolling stone and um, and you know, and, and smaller places like uh, Rain, Ta- Rain Taxi, which is a literary uh, magazine. So you see, you know, comics sort of growing up and and becoming more a part of mainstream pop culture. Now, I think simultaneously, you know, pop culture itself has become and, and critical discourse about it has become so degraded that um, I'm not sure it's a wash exactly, but um, but the, both those two phenomena have been happening over the last 10, 20 years. Um, and, of course, having said that, I forgot what your actual question was. <laughs> it's, uh, one thing I want to add is it's, it's kind of interesting. I was rereading the uh, the book of interviews, the writers that we did, which had uh, several writers of comics from uh, the early 80s, 
And at the time, uh, there was an interview with a guy, I think it was Steve Engelhardt, who was yeah. a bright guy, and there was like a serious little discussion within the interview as to whether anyone would ever really be able to or willing to read a comic book that would be like more than 60 pages long. Wow. It was really, I mean, that, that, was, that was the angle from which people were coming at the time. It would be literally impossible for a comic to be uh, as lengthy or as serious as a novel. Yeah, uh, that, the, that the format itself was so was so inherently strange. I mean, it was it was sort of like you know a discussion of a century ago as to you know if a uh, if a train started going more than twenty five hours uh, twenty five miles an hour, would someone would people's heads blow off? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was wondering, did do you think of uh, that a lot of the like the even the critical way of people of looking at. at on sick. I'm yeah. I'm I'm <laughs> in the middle of a cold. Uh, anyway, I was going to ask, uh, but do you think like uh, the, the perception, uh, even just from the people involved in comics, has, tra- has changed? Um, maybe some somewhat due to the uh, sort of changing of the guard, where the people that were in growing comics, up, like the people, basically like in the '70s, it seemed that 90 percent of people that were in comics had been working in them since the '50s, and I wonder yeah. if that might have been attributing to that at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, well, I think, you know, the zeitgeist has shifted, and people shift along with it. Um, you know, I mean, the attitude among, I don't know, I mean, if you look at the Zap cartoonists, people like Robert Crumb and Gilbert Shelton uh, and Victor Moscoso in Spain and so forth, I mean, they consider themselves uh, artists in a way that that mainstream cartoonists, people who were working for Marvel and DC and Archie and so forth, did not. Uh-huh. And I think you can see where their attitude, um, almost a self-conscious consciousness about their, their status as an artist, has spread to virtually every aspect of comics, whether it's earned or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, did, we did wind up with an awful lot of Spider-Man artists convinced they were artists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's got an upside and a downside to it. Yeah. Now, um, that kind of... Uh, bridges to uh, like it started out. You published the journal, and then uh, you, I guess, uh, first uh, published uh, a couple of graphic novels. Um, one of them being uh, Comanche Moon by the uh, uh, actually Los Tejanos. Close. Los, Los, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm thinking of, we were talking about it on our way, but yeah. Jack Jackson, Los Tejanos, uh, beautiful. From the artwork I've seen, I don't actually have a copy. I have it. It's awesome. It's my favorite Jack Jackson book. Uh, I, actually, I, I was yeah. Was that one of your first forays into publishing? Well, Jackson, you know, I think Jackson's um, graphic novel Los Tejanos is the first comic we published um, once we started publishing the journal. Hmm. Um, and it was a you know it was about a hundred and I don't know one hundred and thirty one hundred and forty pages. And uh, Jack had done Comanche Moon as you mentioned earlier, which was published, I think it was a joint production by two underground comics publishers. I think it was, yeah, I think, wasn't it Last Gasp? Yeah, I think and so. Printman, I think so. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he did his, uh, you know, his second historical graphic novel, um, which was an historical piece of work. Um, and we published that, I think we published it in 81, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. I think it was the first, you know, it was the first comic that we published. And then we went on to publish a couple of other comics, um, Milton Knight's Hugo, and we published a, a couple of uh, issues of a book called Don Rosa's Comics and Stories. Oh yeah, uh, Don Rosa, who went on to do uh, to draw a lot of Donald Duck material in the uh, in the tradition of Karl Barks, 
And, uh, and then in 82, we published Love and Rockets. I mean, a lot of people think that Love and Rockets was the very first comic we published, but we actually did publish a few things prior to that. Now, one, one thing I was kind of leading into was it, um, it seems, you know, when you're not making a lot of money doing comics, you're very careful what you're publishing, and it seems what you were starting out with was uh, kind of not really fitting into any of the, uh, you know, slots of comics that people were used to dealing with. They weren't really undergrounds. Yeah. They weren't the uh, Art Spiegelman super arty stuff, and I mean they obviously weren't superheroes, and they weren't, uh, you know, sword and sorcery fantasy stuff. Um, was that something you guys were seeing? There was a gap in comics, and it just needed to be filled. I wish I could say it was that closely scrutinized an agenda, but I think <laughs> that you know Jack um, Jack got in touch with me, and I you know I, I loved his work, and we just thought that it would be wonderful to publish him and. And then after that, we you know we melt we met Milton Knight in New York. Uh, he was living in Manhattan at the time, and I think we met him through a mutual acquaintance. And he just showed us his work. I mean, th- these things just sort of fell into our lap, and they overlapped somehow with our sensibility or with what we you know wanted comics to become. It was sort of a combination of whim and opportunity. Uh. Yeah. So that was that was something I was really curious about. Is, is the, the transfer from being you know a critical magazine to kind of you know the slow transition into really the I mean Fantagraphics people more know it for the comics, but uh, the comics journal remains I guess like the flagship title for Fantagraphics. Yeah, I mean at the time the journal was sort of the springboard. I mean everyone knew us from the journal, and I think the journal was uh, hitting a certain um, level of notoriety, uh, certainly through the 80s that it hasn't had since. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and we actually uh, started publishing a lot of cartoonists beca- you know, precisely because of the journal, uh, either because cartoonists were aware of the journal and approached us or because I would interview you know, a cartoonist and then get to know him and, and, uh, and, and, then, and then start publishing his work after that. Yeah, it became almost a standing joke that Garrett would go out to interview some cartoonist and come back with the interview and a book publishing contract. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that. Is um, like, were there were there people that you met uh, just through doing the journal that, uh, like, who who impressed you the most out of some of the people that you met, like that you maybe had no uh, view on before you met them, and then when you met them, you well, actually... I mean, one one artist I was in awe of um, for 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 many years. Um, even before we started publishing the journal, was Ralph Steadman, mm-hmm. mm. who I think you guys might have interviewed yep. on the show. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about that. And so you know what a great guy he is. Mm-hmm. And I met him. I met him in L.A. And I don't. I don't remember the circumstance, but you know somehow I got in touch with him, and I met him in L.A. And we sat down and chatted for a little while, and he agreed to do an interview. And uh, and then I went over to England, and I I did the first interview at his place in Kent, and, uh, and then, of course, we did uh, subsequently publish one of his books. We reprinted his, uh, Ralph Steadman's America. Oh, yeah. We reformatted it and uh, reprinted it here, and, we're, and I'm talking to Ralph now about um, maybe in 08 or 09, uh, publishing a big Ralph Steadman sketchbook. Oh, wow. Oh, that would be awesome. I think would be incredible. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's a perfect example of somebody who I admired before he even started doing the journal. And, and really never expected that I would, A, interview, or B, get to know. Um, you know, I'd, I'd 
I was familiar with his work through, of course, Hunter Thompson. Mm-hmm. Now, Hunter Thompson, you actually uh, brought to a convention in the seventies. Yeah, it was uh, it was pre-comics journal, and uh, Mike Catron and I had this brilliant idea to make a lot of money that we could then start our publishing company with by putting on a rock and roll convention. Hmm. And through the Rolling Stone Lecture Bureau, we uh, got Hunter Thompson there. Hmm. Um, so I actually, um, I actually had to go out to his hotel and pick him up uh, for reasons I don't understand, but apparently he was incapable of getting to our convention. Uh, by himself, so I actually went out and got him and brought him to the convention, and he, um, you know, he spent a couple of hours speaking. Oh, that's cool. Now, um, was he kind of an influence for uh, your own kind of um, critiquing style of, like, really just saying what's on your mind and just going out there and just doing it? You know, I'm not sure I'd say influence, but but maybe inspiration, that that kind of nakedly... Uh, honest um, to hell with the consequences form of expression could be done actually one of the things that that always stands out um, with the journal was was that I think you you were that that was the first magazine I'd ever read um, not only criticism of of comics and and like critiques and things but uh, you, you I think you might have been the only magazine that actually was critical of the people that people look up to as like these icons like people like art spiegelman or whatever or uh you know will eisner, will eisner and people like that that like that they're not infallible you know right some right. people some people i don't think still want to admit that yeah we wanted to subtitle a magazine no sacred cows yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean i think that was important to us to i mean to adopt that attitude that even I mean, and, and and you know the 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 conundrum is that we publish criticism about people that I like and I respect, um, mm-hmm. and that I even disagree with. I mean, the criticism of. Mm-hmm. Um, but we felt it should be a freewheeling magazine that wasn't afraid to do that. Basically, the only quality you look for is in writing from and people pretty much free to speak their minds as writers for the comics journal yeah i mean i think it ha- you know i think it has to be a defensible point of view um but i give it i give it a lot of latitude within that parameter uh, actually one thing i, w- I was going to mention uh, we we're talking about the old journal stuff is uh is that you guys were also um i thought it was admirable that you guys were kind of at the forefront of every sort of uh almost moral cause that it, that would come up with regards to like original uh, artwork and people getting um, compensated for for old work and things like like that like the the Superman uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster stuff and the right. the Kirby artwork and all that I I don't think anybody else really took a stand on it as much as you guys did outside of actual professionals outside of Neil Adams yeah <laughs> that's, that's why that's why we were at the forefront because there was actually no uh, no one else doing it yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I, I always thought that was admirable, and I. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, I. Uh, I think I mentioned when, when I met you briefly in Seattle about uh, how you guys. I always saw you guys as being like the Sylvia Beach of comic books, because you actually got to put your mouth, your money where your mouth is, and right, uh, right, right. You know, publish the stuff that you, you know, that was worth it, whether anybody else would or not. You know. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm glad you said that. It would have been too uh, yeah. self-serving for me to have said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of my gushing for the hour. Yeah, you're now Gary can put down the cue card. Yeah. 
We are not a spokes uh, show for uh, yeah. Comics Journal or Fanographics. We're just appreciators. Yeah. Um, just to remind people, we're speaking with Gary Groth and Kim Thompson, uh, co-publishers, uh, editors, and men of many hats of Fanographics. Um, one thing I've noticed uh, going through my Fanographics books, it seems you both strong uh, views in appreciation of comics and the type of stuff you're editing and stuff. Um, do you kind of take on different aspects of comics that you're interested in promoting with fanographics? You mean the, the, the two of us? Yeah, the two of you, like, kind of, like... Individually. Yeah, the of your own personal interests of what you each want to kind of do and push out for goodness. Probably. Can yeah, I mean, I think we, we have different tastes and we have different skill sets. Uh, I mean, obviously, almost all of the uh, foreign books that we do, uh, I tend to handle... And that's partly because that is uh, that's the material I'm, I'm really familiar with, and partly just for a pragmatic reason that I speak the languages. Hmm. So it makes sense for me to work on them. How many languages do you actually speak? It's, that would be a simple question normally. Uh, three fluently, a couple more I can work my way through, then I can read another four or five on a good day. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Which, which comes in handy. I've actually, I've actually used, I think, every single language that I can work my way through, uh, in one way or another. Working at Fanographics, doing translations. Oh, really? I mean, it's not that often I get to translate a Dutch comic book, but still, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow. you're doing a used uh, Swart collection, aren't? Isn't that coming out? Exactly. In fact, that's that's the one. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> but I have translated Yul Swart before. Okay. Huh. For uh, for Raw, or was it just other projects? Uh, actually, it's, I think I did do uh, I did do a raw story at one point. I know I've translated him before, yeah, you, uh, but we also raw. did one of his uh, one of his uh, kids' books uh, for measles. Hmm. I, I did not know that. Yeah, I, th- I think um, uh, the comics journal was actually the first place I ever saw uh, a Hugo Pratt story. Uh, you guys reprinted like a full. I think it was the Brazilian Eagle or something. That's Col- right, Comics Journal 108. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Milton Kniff cover. Yeah, that, well. yeah, that was, that was like, right when I read that, I thought, why have I never read this before? <laughs> you know? yeah, and, and to this day, you guys are still um, delving more and more into... Uh, uh, history? Yeah, and, history? Or, or, or foreign translations and things. Like the like Coconino... Uh, line is right, right. The the Ignatz line of uh, comics, uh, most of which are are European. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, frankly, in an ideal world, I'd be doing two, two or three times as much as we are doing. But uh, there's a limit to what the market can absorb, and uh, the foreign comics are actually very labor intensive to do and don't sell that well. So it's uh, to a large degree labor of love. The exception being Jason, who actually is very easy to do because he's so succinct. And uh, also, he sells quite well. And half his comics are silent. Right, right. <laughs> Although some, some are quite verbose. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I thought it was interesting that you, uh, there was some, uh, you guys, uh, one of them was uh, Lorenzo Matotti. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I almost never see anything by the guy. And I was, I was just thrilled just to even see anything of his in print, you know. I felt the same way. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's one of the people. I mean, I have... You know, a dream list of 20 cartoonists, at least, that uh, from Europe that I would love one day to do a book of, but uh, mm-hmm. I have to basically prioritize them. Mm-hmm. Who, and Matoti is Mato- somewhere, you know, in the, in the top six. Yeah. Who, who else would make, that, uh, make the cut? Anybody, anybody you care to mention? <laughs> well, I would certainly like to uh, do a big collection of Mar- Marti's work, for instance. Mm, yeah. uh, that's, that, that's very high on the list. Uh, there are some 
Hergé material, the guy who created Tintin, has never been published in the U.S. That's also top of my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great South American cartoonist called Kino mm-hmm. that is sort of I've been I've been sort of thinking about for a while, and uh, it would be nice to get someone like Tardy back into print in the U.S. Although as I've discovered, he's a very hard sell. Oh really? And then on from there, and we also I mean I also at one point we were doing the Munoz Sampaio Sooner material, mm-hmm. which is wonderful work, and I'd love to pick up that one again. So Nicaragua. Yeah. So the, I actually found the, the 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 one that surprised me the most was I picked up the I think it was the Innocence by G, mm-hmm. GP. Yeah. Am I saying that right? G, yep. GP. And uh, I picked it up because of the artwork, and I read it, and I thought this is fantastic. And I'd never read anything by the guy before. I thought it's very strong. Yeah. Uh, there's um, first second put out a book of his. Uh, the rock band. I the think. Grosh band. Yeah. Grosh and band. they have an, and they have another one coming out. And in fact, uh, the uh, it's got not, uh, the um, I believe it was the. Second book in the series, the uh, they found the car that got nominated for an Eisner. So, oh, really? Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, the the art is so beautiful that you almost don't expect it to also be you know very smart and tightly written. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was uh, thrown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I I'm really happy. That's one of my. Well, actually, I love pretty much all the Ignatz titles. I don't think there's 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 a dud among them, but uh, his work is certainly wonderful and. I mean, that's one of the fun things about working in the Ignats is, is that at least half the cartoonists had never heard of before. Yeah, and have, have they taken over for, or almost uh, taken the place of sort of the traditional pamphlet comics from Fantagraphics? You guys don't really seem to be doing those sort of I traditional... I hate that term, pamphlet. Well, I didn't know what else to call them. You know, comic, comic books. We, yeah, we, we yeah. call them that as well. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the alternative pamphlet is, is kind of dying out. Yeah. Uh, so the Ignatzes are like one, one instance of trying to... Uh, find a happy medium between that and books, which really, mm-hmm. to some degree, was uh, that way was paved uh, by uh, Dan Klaus's last issues of 8-Ball, for instance. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, or, for that matter, uh, the ever-growing Acme Novelty Library. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's a great format. I, th- I like the large format. It's just nice. It's, just like it's, really... it's, a, re- it's a really nice format, yeah, and it seems, it seems to, be, to be working okay. Yeah. The artwork looks a lot nicer and in a bigger, closer look at... Um, there's something else I was going to ask. I completely forgot what it was. One thing, um, a writer who I'm a big fan of, I'm just curious how you got him to do a comic for you guys, is uh, Pukowski. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that the uh, uh, Matthias... Um, was that the Matthias Schulteis, a couple of winos? Yes. Well, I don't think that was so much a case of getting him to do it. I think that was just an adaptation of an existing story. Yeah, he, had, oh, okay. he adapted short stories for yeah. Pukowski. Oh, Unfortunately, we didn't have any direct connection. No, no. <laughs> or fortunately, depending on how that might have turned out. Although, if we knew you were going to ask that, we would have come up with some great story about how we <laughs> hung out with him in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, was there ever any anybody that you had no interest in ever meeting, but you guys met and 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 were just like blown away by? Like, as opposed to somebody like uh, you know. Uh, Ralph Steadman, who who you actually admired, was there yeah. anybody that you didn't really admire, but then when you met them, you had a whole new appreciation for what they did? Hmm, that's a great question. Might not I might not yield a great answer, but it's yeah. A great <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> um, boy, hmm. I think there's certainly people we admired less after we met them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, the other way around. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's funny. Um, I don't know if Kim remembers this, but. Uh, we you know we used to uh, work out of uh, Connecticut, which was a bedroom community. I remember that New York, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we would go into Manhattan a couple of times a week. And they actually had press conferences at Marvel that we would attend, you know, for the Comics Journal. And we would go in there and just see you know see friends and so forth. And 
Um, I think one time Kim came back from New York, and somehow he was at a party or something, and he'd met Art Spiegelman. Hmm. And I was only dimly aware of Art's work. And so Kim described, you know, he met him, and I said, oh, yeah, I kind of remember his work, but I wasn't very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then when I went in, at some point, I met Art. And the, the one time I remember, I mean, this, I'm, I'm not sure this is the first time I, I actually literally met Art, um, or if it was just among the, the earliest times, but it was at a party, and he got into an argument with an editor at Marvel Comics over some war comic they were publishing. And um, Art was just being ferociously argumentative about this and just how grotesque this war comic was and how the guy was basically immoral for doing it. <laughs> and um, so there was, uh, so, I, so, I, so I sort of recognized an immediate kinship there. <laughs> and so I, I met Art without really being intimately familiar with what he'd done. <clears throat> you know, because what he'd, what he'd done previously was really kind of scattered all over the place. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, the arcades and, and the Bijou uh, and things, comics yeah. books. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there wasn't any one thing that you know that I I distinctly remember that knocked my socks off. Um, anyway, you know, and then of course I got got to know him, and, and uh, we became uh, fast friends, and, and remain so today. So maybe you know, oddly enough, art might be might fit that category. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, actually, I I, I really um. I know that uh, through reading the journal that you were also uh, great friends with Gil Kane. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was probably my closest friend for about uh, twenty years. Yeah, because you you wrote a really really lovely piece uh, after he passed away. I really I really liked that. It was it was really nice. Oh, well, thanks. It was uh, it was heartfelt. Yeah, you could tell you could tell, but he he seemed to be a guy that was really uh, critical of everything. Too. Well, yeah, I mean that's sort of why I. I guess I got to know him. Um, you know, he did an interview in a, in a fanzine called Alter Ego, which was, again, a, a pretty a good fan magazine in the 60s. And he did an interview which came out somewhere around 1967, something like that, 68. And it just, when I read it, and I must have been pretty young when I read it, it just blew me away. And in fact, it blew everybody away. Because he was talking about comics in a way that you would just that, that no one had experienced up to that point. Um, he was doing sort of close, what would be the equivalent of close textual readings of mainstream artists and just parsing, you know, their virtues and vices uh, aesthetically hmm. um, in a way that really hadn't been done, even by critics of the medium, you know, even by um, people like Gilbert Seldes and people who had written about comics. And it just, just knocked people out. And I remember that being a very sort of formative influence on me. And, I mean, Gil was probably a guy I never thought, you know, I'd become close to. He was just this huge, iconic figure in comics. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, one of the great um, craftsmen in mainstream comics. Oh, definitely. Um, but, you know, then, I don't know, just worked out. Yeah. Kim, you got any uh, people you've met that knocked your socks off? No, I guess they all disappointed me. <laughs> uh, I guess I can't. I can't think of any equivalent. Uh, I mean, there's certainly people that I've met and grown very fond of, but uh, generally, I was already familiar enough with their work to form an opinion there. And uh, you know, yeah. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll get. In, I guess we'll get more into uh, the published works of Fantagraphics. I recently got the catalog 
um, of what you guys have coming out for 2007, 2008, fall, winter. And I was blown away at Trump, the Harvey Kurtzman Trump yeah. collection coming out. That's about time. <laughs> How did that work out? And, yeah, yeah, it's about time. Well, um, as you know, um, that was a, um, a satirical magazine that Harvey Kurtzman edited and that uh, Hugh Hefner published. And I think that would have been 57, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Only two issues of it appeared. Um, it featured work by, um, you know, the usual gang of people that were um, the, around it, of idiots. at that time. Yeah. The usual cast of idiots or yeah, whatever right, they call it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Will Elder was in it, uh, Al Jaffe, Wally Wood, Arnold Roth, um, maybe Jack Davis, I yeah. don't remember, Russ Heath. Anyway, you know, Harvey, you know, gathered all these guys together, and uh, they put out uh, only two issues of this magazine, um, at which point I think uh, Hefner was going through financial difficulties, uh, which always heartens us um, <laughs> to hear that. And uh, I guess a bank, uh, a bank that he had a loan in was calling in the loan. They were running scared, and they called in the loan, and as a result, he had to cancel Trump. Um, so I, I don't know off the top of my head if Trump was actually doing well or doing poorly, or even if they knew at the time, but he had to cancel it uh, regardless because it was just a financial um, you know, burden uh, at that point, and he just couldn't sustain it. So there are two issues of Trump. I think there's 64 pages each. It was a magazine format um, and very uh, slickly produced. Um, it had some, some beautiful stuff in it. It had a... Uh, I remember a gatefold that Will Elder did. Oh wow! Uh, had some of Elder's best stuff in it. Um, so it's just a you know it was just a terrific satirical magazine that was um, that had great production values, and we're going to be uh, collecting you know both those issues in a single uh, volume. Hmm. Has there ever been anything that you guys have uh, have published that uh, that say one one or either of you? have maybe been opposed to but were convinced into doing it or like do you guys usually see fairly eye to eye on things yeah i think i think we see eye to eye on on most of it but there are certainly things that uh that gary publishes that i wouldn't necessarily say i was opposed to publishing but wasn't fond of and i'm sure the reverse is true hmm. i mean our tastes overlap sufficiently so that i don't think we have I don't, I don't think either one of us has ever had a serious objection I think occasionally we'll look at, at at a project the other one brings in and kind of shrugs. <laughs> you know, I, just, I don't get it, but yeah. you know, I trust you know I trust your taste, and and it's obviously not you know obviously a bad thing, but I don't I don't quite get it. <laughs> and I mean, clearly, this is not a case where we'd want to name not, names. Not often. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. And this is clearly not a case where we'd want to name names. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, are we? Our tastes do coincide to a very large degree. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious how um, you've been known for bringing in a lot of like unknown guys that have since uh, catapulted to uh, wonderment, um, like Dan Clouds. Like, how did you bring in someone who artwork was so odd and just so ugly, um, great but ugly stuff, and just kind of how did that? <laughs> do you want to name names? <laughs> what would that mean? Well, I'm just curious how you got the like how you got Dan Klaus. Like, what attracted to like uh, how did you get exposed to his stuff? Like, I mean, he was just previously published in uh, Cracked, and like I love all that stuff, but yeah, it is it was, like a definitely his, his different. Work wasn't ugly. Um, 
No, it was definitely stylized. It was highly stylized, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Klaus came in totally over the transom. I mean, Klaus sent us a, a proposal, and both of us read the proposal, and both of us said, of course. No, I mean, really. There was never any doubt. Wow. And by saying ugly, I didn't mean it as an insult. I just want to clarify that now. I'm kind a, of dark. I'm a huge Klaus fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you meant that as a compliment. In, yeah, yeah. in, in all ways, I've uh, hunted down all the cracks I could find <laughs> and actually got all the pages that he did bound up in a book with all the Lloyd Llewellyn. So. I, was, I, was, I was trying to rack my brain to, for artists that were ugly that we, that we, that we published. <laughs> <laughs> all comic artists are pretty boys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, um... What are some stuff that you want to try and get out there and publish, but you just haven't been able to, um, I guess, kind of uh, boundaries with, I don't know, like licensing, or just haven't been able to do it yet, or hopefully we'll do in the future? Boy, that's another great question that might not yield a very good answer. <laughs> um, boy, I'm not sure. We're all about the awkward pauses here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to get some Ronald Searle work back into print. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, you're familiar with him, the British cartoon. Yeah, the, he did. Uh, he was in a Japanese. He did the, the internment camp to the Quayan back. That was that was him. Yeah, he did a book about the Death March in Bataan. Yeah, the Bataan Death March. Uh, I mean, as well as a lot of really you know light, um, humorous work. He had children's books. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean Arnold Roth was was obviously influenced um, heavily by Searle. I think. Yeah. I think Stedman was too. Yeah, yeah Stedman. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, he sort of took it in a different direction. You know, much more. Savage direction, but yeah. Um, and in some cases, persistence but the only that just paid off. Done that is because you know of lack of time. Um, no, no real impediment other than you know we haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Kim. Can you think of anything? I mean, it, I mean, it took a, a long time to get peanuts, for instance. Oh yeah, that must. So have been. if you'd ask, if you'd ask us like uh, eight, eight or nine years, or eight or nine or ten years ago, that would have been on the list of ones that we wanted but hadn't been able to get yet. For that matter, even Swart. I mean, I remember discussing uh, with Swart the idea of uh, packaging his material, I think, 15 years ago. And we just couldn't get a, uh, a workable format together and had to abandon it with some disappointment. Mm. So, yeah, Bill Malden is a cartoonist that has been in the back of my mind for, like, literally 10 or 15 years. Oh, yeah, I've got that big book that they put out, the big, the big white one that had, like, 300 pages of his stuff. I just yeah. love it. yeah. yeah. Now, the Peanuts Collection, actually, that's something we should mention, because that's one of the uh, more prominent titles that people will know. Um, that originally, uh, he didn't want to print all of them. Am I correct? Am I remembering? Cause well, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you are mostly correct. He, did, he, wasn't, he wasn't taken by my suggestion to, to print the complete Peanuts. Oh. And because he wasn't fond of a lot of the earliest work. Ah. Yeah. Because I, I interviewed Seth, and that was actually my first one for the show, and he said, like, the only way he could really do it, he wasn't able to until, like, you guys were able to print all of them, because he's only interested in really doing it as, like, a whole epic thing, I think. So. That I was only interested in doing? No, uh, Seth was saying that he was, like, part of uh, doing the design work for is he, he he didn't want to just do, like, a partial Peanuts collection. He wanted to work on, like, the whole Peanuts collection. Oh, I see. I don't. Well, I don't think a partial peanuts collection was ever in the in the cards. Yeah, yeah we, we were always about the complete peanuts. Yeah, yeah. You guys have done uh, quite a few things like that. You did the uh, Prince Valiant years ago, didn't you? The, That's true. Yeah. We did. Uh, Popeye. We did, we did basically the, the complete Hell Foster Prince Valiant at least, uh, yeah. and we did do the complete Seeger Popeye. Yeah, and I remember I had the uh, what was the. Uh, uh, 
Terry and the Pirates, Dickie Dare, the Dickie Dare book. I right, right. It's actually you're trying to do like a balance um, because you are publishing a lot of strip reprints right now. Is trying to balance between having new stuff and also exposing people to this great old stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we we plan it out yeah. quite that closely. I mean, we, we do as many as many classics as we feel like, and we do as much new stuff as we feel like. And then after we figure that out, we try to balance it. <laughs> <laughs> put in more, I put in more thoughts to my questions yeah. than need be. Actually, I was wondering, um, with um, things like Peanuts, uh, they're a little bit more in sort of the mainstream. Like, like basically, you, they, they probably sell pretty book or pretty good, I'm assuming, through bookstores. Yeah. Um, did is, is, is that affected the way uh, you're – you run the company now, like the the difference between being able to get some things into bookstores as opposed to a comic distributor. Or? Well, it 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 yes and no. It, it allows us to publish work that'll sell well in bookstores and that wouldn't sell well in comic stores. I mean, hmm. if we if we couldn't sell, I don't know. I mean, obviously this couldn't happen because bookstores would want to sell peanuts. But if we couldn't sell peanuts in bookstores, we'd be selling about it of what we're selling. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, so it, it allows us to sell something that will do well in bookstores. You know, and, and as a publishing company, we need a balance of you know, work like Peanuts or Popeye uh, or Bill Malden, mm-hmm. um, work that will do well uh, in a larger market, something close to a mass market, um, as opposed to the smaller, you know, more specialized, more minority interest books that we do also hmm. so we, we have to strike a balance i think between those two it's the the monetary balance i guess because i understand uh a lot of titles don't necessarily make money um and that's kind of just putting it out because it's such a quality product that's correct yeah yeah i mean it's it and, and, and it's a it's a financial balance not an aesthetic one i mean aesthetically exactly you know, people had, I think people had an attitude that we published alternative comics, and by that they meant sort of edgy, um, you know, material that might have been, uh, you know, more sexual or, or, or whatever. Marginalized or something. Yeah. Um, and that was never really our criterion. Um, our, our, our sole criterion was good cartooning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I remember you guys, you, you put out Nemo magazine too, didn't you? We did, yeah. because yeah, even that at the time was, you were kind of doing both, you know. Yeah. And we did, and we did the, uh, start of the Prince Valiant and did the first Popeyes really quite early on in, uh, oh, yeah. in, in our, uh, in our careers, as it were. That was like 83, 84, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was, yeah. it was definitely the early 80s, so just a few, a couple of years after we started publishing books. Yeah, I think Popeye could have been as early as 83. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we did certainly the, also the first of our foreign editions in 83 or 84. So we, we, we had all those ideas bubbling under pretty pretty early on. What, what, which were the first foreign editions that you did? You uh, it was actually a, 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 an action-adventure comic uh, that uh, we retitled The Survivors, but uh, the original was called Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And there was, oddly enough, there was a TV series of it a few years ago, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. yeah by Herman. Oh, okay. Um... I'm curious, um, going back and talking talking about publishing and distribution through bookstores, I'm wondering how um, this might be too obscure for recent readers of comics, but back in the 90s, I guess 96, a bunch of distributors went kaput because mm-hmm. of uh, Marvel trying to be a little bit greedy. And mm-hmm. from the end of it, Diamond stood up on top. How has that affected 
um, what you guys decide to do. Uh, it hasn't. Has it, it? It hasn't affected like I was. It wondering. didn't affect like back in the day. You just kind of. I, I was wondering about um, adult material because I know uh, we've had problems just bringing. I work at a comic store and we've had problems bringing things up from from the states just because they've deemed it adult for whatever reason, whether it is or not. And uh, well, that's, because, that's because of your country, right? Not diamond. Yeah. 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 No, oh, that's that's uh, our border well, guards. By, by the time diamond became the monopoly distributor, it had grown to love smut. Oh. oh, okay. They, they they pretty much did a 180 over the years. They were real conservative at one point. They were literally refusing to carry, even not pornographic, but just uh, relatively extreme alternative comics like Yummy Fur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as things went on, uh, whether either by because of, because of greed or because of uh, a more uh, enlightened viewpoint, they turned around and uh, essentially now they'll carry pretty much anything. No, oh, okay. I'm sure it was Which helps us, because sometimes we publish just about anything. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we're nearing the end of our time. Um, I, I guess we should remind people, uh, you do have the eBay auctions, and uh, Barry Windsor Smith has uh, generously donated a couple of nice pieces. Is he still a pretty close friend of Fanographics, I guess? Uh, he, he is an absolutely terrific guy, and I, I'm pleased to say he's a great friend of Fanographics. You know, I, I, I've known Barry since I was, like, 15. Oh, really? So, um, over a substantial part of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's a, a question I can kind of skirt around the whole lawsuit thing is, has this been a time where you've kind of seen who your friends really are? And is this kind of the same as, like, when back in, I guess, with the other 80s. lawsuit in the 80s, the Fleischer one, you kind of see who are the friends and who are the supporters? I'm not sure we, we've seen any huge surprises, although the degree to which some people have stepped forward has been... Uh, has been uh, has been touching and uh, heartening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's pretty. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to say. I mean, no names. If someone, you know, hasn't contributed, doesn't mean he's not a friend. I mean, he might yeah. cannot contribute for whatever reason. Well, comic artists um, don't make a lot of money, so. Yeah. But certainly, you know, there have been artists who have just given us material. I mean, Barry being one of them. Uh, Art Spiegelman, for example, mm-hmm. um, he signed at my booth at Ape at the convention in San Francisco a few weeks ago, and he sat there for three hours and signed until I thought his arm was going to fall off. Awesome. I, was, I bid on that breakdowns you guys had on the auction, but it went well above my uh, <laughs> affordable mean, price range. Some artists have just been so incredibly generous that um, you know I feel terribly guilty <laughs> in the face of such generosity. Yeah, yeah, we donated some stuff when we were down there. And, right, right, that's right, that. that's right. And we and we got a, a pretty penny for them on eBay, as I recall. Oh, yeah, good. The uh, that's what it was for, except for the one that we didn't think that uh, much. Uh, <laughs> actually, you know what? I was gonna I was gonna mention if you guys uh, wanted to raise some money, I was thinking that San Diego, you should get like a dunk tank, <laughs> or, 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 maybe, or maybe have like a kissing booth or something. You know, uh, Kim could go in the dump tank. I could go in the kissing. Yeah, booth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <We're on. laughs> Thank you very much, guys, and I hope you have an excellent day. Well, You're welcome. You. Okay, take care. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. That was the uh, men behind Fanographics, mm-hmm. uh, Gary Groth and Kim Thompson, uh, both wonderful, talented, uh, great editors. Oh, I just remembered a couple questions I was going to ask. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> okay. We'll um, I want to talk about some of the shows we got coming up 
We have some fantastic shows ahead of us. Fantastic. Fantastic. Next week, I will be playing an interview that Don and I did last month with Melinda Gebby. Who is uh, the wife of uh, Alan Moore, the fiance. girlfriend, fiance, fiance. Mr. Alan Moore. And well, put she is Lost the Girls. artist of Lost Girls. That's how yeah. I'm going to refer to it. I know, She's but people people know Lost Girls off the top of their head because of the controversy, and it's Alan it's, Moore. And all it's that. a fantastic book, and Melinda really went over the top on the artwork. In yeah, it. yeah. She did some really nice stuff in there. It's a, it's a lifetime thing. Um... Also, just remind people, if they want to check out Fanographics, fanographics.com. Um, I'll be yeah. linking in on the website. Frank's or the studs. Comics Journal. It's uh, tcj.com. tcj.com. Thecomicsjournal.com. Yeah. Dot com. Dot com. Um, let's see. The week after, I don't know who I'm going to interview yet. I have something in mind, but I'm not saying anything until it pans out. Um, future interviews will include John Porcelino, whose King Cat collection is awesome. Spit and a half. Check him out. Um... Baron Story. Baron Story. I'm Fantastic really looking artist. forward to Baron Story. Both of us are very big Baron Story fanatics. Um, he influenced Dave McKeon, uh, Bill Sankovich, yeah. David Mack, Kent Williams, George Pratt, yeah, he's, John Muth. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he's a killer, killer graphic designer. He's, he's so, so good. I wouldn't call it, him a graphic designer. He's, illustrator. An illustrator. he's yeah. not a graphic yeah, designer. Yeah, that's true. He's an oh, illustrator. Damn uh, you, Dodd! But, but we're also looking forward to Eddie Campbell. Eddie Campbell, who uh, whose new book uh, that's coming out soon, The Black Diamond Detective Agency, I just read. Fantastic. I tried to get Don to read it, but he refuses to touch it till he can buy it himself. Yeah, I want my own. He so I can get my, my stains all over it. Um, fantastic book coming out from first second. Um, Most people would probably know Eddie Campbell for for the one that illustrated From Hell with Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Yeah, Alan Moore. But I actually like his own stuff better. His Alex story is fantastic. Bacchus I've uh, been reading and quite enjoying. He's just good. He's he awesome. Just excellent. He's um, my top five. Where's, top five. where's Bougie? This is my top five. Eddie Campbell is one of my top five creators of all time. My favorite. Yes, Don. It's true. Uh, there we go. Oh, jeez, I'm classless. Well, at, least, at least you did that on the air. So. Yeah, that was just for your uh, Don. Yeah. Um, who else? What's else? Oh, yeah, there's some sales happening in town. Uh, last Saturday was Free Comic Day, and it was a fun day. I picked up some good stuff. The uh, Toronto Comics Festival uh, thing was excellent. And you know what? I wish I lived in Toronto because they put on a good show, it sounds like. Um, on that note, the next Vancouver Comic Con will be June third with Carrie Nord as the artist. Uh, he uh, illustrates Conan. Conan. I'm a big fan of his Daredevil stuff. I don't really care about Conan. The Conan that first that them first 25 issues of Conan that he did with Kurt Busiek are fantastic. Even if you hate Conan, give him a try. You might actually like it because I yeah I don't wear a loincloth and don't swing a battle. Well, up, either so. do I? But I and I always thought Don is lying. He's wearing nothing but a Conan used to be lame, and then when I read that, I thought you know what this is what kind of makes them interesting and they finally went back to that but anyway enough about that enough uh, enough uh may 31st uh, scott mcleod will be on the show joining us as well that night he's doing a signing and uh at sophia's books at sophia's books 7 p.m i will be there um mm-hmm. he'll be with his family part of his scott mcleod uh road trip around america mm-hmm. and canada um he is going up to uh where is he going up to? He's going to do his Alaska. He's going to do his his aristocrats tour. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, what else? Oh yeah, sales in stores in town. I just thought I'd let you guys know. Book and Comic Emporium is blowing everything out. Fifty percent off everything. Mm-hmm. Um, go crazy for what's left. There's not a lot of great stuff left, but it's a good store. Oh, uh, also, kind of. If if you're looking for any uh, of some of the leftovers from Free Comic Day, I know RX Comics has a few. 
We have a bunch of stuff sitting there Don't by the door. Plug. That's my plug. I got to have a plug. plug. As well, uh, Sophia Books, uh, where we will be at the signing for um, Scott McCloud. Uh, next week, the 17th, I almost forgot to mention, Nagadod signing with Mark Bell. Uh, at Lucky's? No, at oh. Sophia's. Oh, at Sophia's, right. At Sophia's. Uh, I think Luke Ramsey will be there, and Luke Ramsey's doing some fantastic stuff. Um, really, it's going to be a great group of people. I am looking forward to it. I'm going to get some good art comics, I guess, or art chat books. Really good stuff. Um, Lots of good books coming out lately. Yeah, Sophia Books is having a sale right now, 30% off everything. Mm-hmm. So you can go buy a bunch of stuff for cheap. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, actually, if you, if you want to uh, support Fantagraphics, just buy some good Fantagraphics books. There's yeah. no shortage of them anywhere. Yeah, I'll be honest. Comic companies don't make a lot of money. Um, not that I'm doing the hard sell, and we're not sponsored by any comic store or comic company. No. Fantagraphics puts out some quality work, and yeah. I really highly recommend they, going out. They have... They've been probably one of the most consistent American publishers of comic books for artistically uh, for the for the last twenty years. So they're fantastic. They're fantastic. They're fantagraphic casting. Lame. They're fan- <laughs> anyway. Okay. So thank you, Gary and Kim, for joining us. And now I shall end off with uh first song we played was Gary's Request. I forgot the name of the artist. It was something French, and the song was Summer Wind. I'm going to end with uh, France Gall. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce this song. You'll recognize it. Toi, personne d'autre que toi.